In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's wonderful to see you online, worshiping the Lord together. Well, this morning, we're going to look at Acts chapter 9. Well, Saul became the leader of a persecution against the church after Stephen's death. According to Acts chapter 8, verse 3, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. As a result, the church was scattered. But by God's design, it forced the church to be established in other cities. As a result, many more Jews were becoming Christians. This made Christian hater Saul even more mad. So he was determined to storm out Christianity in Damascus as well. After hearing about the Jews becoming Christians there, our God had other plans in Acts chapter 9. Chapter 9 verse 1 begins with, Meanwhile, Saul was still reading out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Saul's mission was to cut Christians out of the Jewish life. Seeing the disciples had fled Jerusalem, Saul's zeal was compelling him to go to others' areas to persecute them. Saul was becoming even more upset as he found that those who have fled from him in Jerusalem have made even more disciples of the Lord throughout Judea, Samaria, and farther afield. One particular place that Saul wanted to go to persecute the disciples was Damascus, for it had a very large Jewish population. For that reason, he went to the high priest to get letters granting him authority to pursue them, bind them, and bring them back to Jerusalem, both men and women. That's verse 2. These letters are a legal permit giving Saul the freedom to harm Christians under the Roman law. The Roman government recognized the rights of the high priest within the Jewish faith. So Saul's letter would allow him to wreak havoc on believers who, verse 2 says, belong to the way. The way is used six times in Acts to denote the Christian faith. That's chapter 9, verse 2, 19, verse 9, and 23, chapter 22, verse 4, and chapter 24, verses 14 and 22. This name is probably derived from the fact that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 14, verse 6. Saul set off on the 150-mile journey to Damascus with these letters in hand. The trip would have taken him five or six days, but he was about to have an unexpected meeting with the Lord on that journey. Verse 3 tells us, 
as he hear near Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. We learn from Paul's account in Acts chapter 26, verse 13, that the light that flashed from heaven was brighter than the midday sun and was shining all around him and his companions. Saul fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus' questions to Saul in verse 4 was self-revealing. There was only one group that Saul was persecuting, and here Jesus identifies himself completely with his disciples. To persecute them is to persecute him. Back. Who are you, Lord? This being, this being that has revealed himself in such a supernatural way is more than just a sir, but is the Lord himself. It was a question of clarification, but probably asked with hesitation, since it would be his worst fear to find out that was actually Jesus and that he was guilty of fighting against God. Just as Gamaliel had warned the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 5, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied in verse 5. This is incredible. Saul's entire life up to this point had been a declaration that Jesus was just a man. And now Saul was talking to Jesus as his God. And so the light in his soul flicked on when that occurred. Jesus' answer must have cut in him into the call. But the answer also came with directions of what he was to do next. Jesus said in verse 6, now let get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Verses 7 and 8. The man traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. We can only imagine all the things that were going through Saul's mind as he picked himself up off the ground and realized he was blind. Instead of boldly coming into Damascus as one who would triumph over the despised Christians, he was now being led by hand. Verse 9. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Fasting is usually associated with prayer, and Saul was certainly praying while he waited for the Lord's next instructions. While Saul waited, 
the Lord was giving instructions to another believer named Ananias. Ananias is not an apostle, nor was there any indication that he was anything more than just a faithful disciple of Jesus. The Lord told Ananias to go to Straight Street and ask at the house of Judas for a certain man clearly identified as Saul of Tarsus. Ananias' mission was to lay hand on Saul so that he would regain his sight. The only other information given to him was that Saul was praying, verses 11 and 12. Ananias' reaction was the same that you or I would have had if we had been in his shoes. Ananias answered in verses 13 and 14, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Undoubtedly, those who have fled Jerusalem not only spread the word about having faith in Jesus Christ, but also about Saul of Tarsus and his persecutions of the disciples of Jesus. Ananias had heard all of this as well as the news of Saul's missions in Damascus. Ananias did not know of what had happened to Saul on the trip to Damascus. So as far as he was concerned, Saul was still a grave threat. The fact that Saul was praying did not give Ananias any comfort, for the Pharisees were always praying in public. He would not have known that Saul's prayers had changed into truly talking with God instead of just being a religious show. The fact that Saul was blind may have been helpful, but the Lord wanted Ananias to restore Saul's sight. Any of us would also have been hesitant. The Lord gave Ananias the children he needed in verses 15 and 16. It was now clear to Ananias that Saul would not be a threat for either he always was or would also be a disciple of Jesus. For God had chosen him to bear witness in Jesus' name. The Lord even revealed to him the specifics about the particular ministry that Saul would have. Saul would be the instruments of the choice, the tool that the God would use to take the gospel to the Gentiles, as well as before kings and the Jews. Saul would suffer much for Jesus' name in the process. The persecutor would be one of the persecuted. God's sovereignty is again manifested in revealing that what would happen in the future in Saul's life. Ananias 
was no longer hesitant. After receiving the assurance from the Lord, verses 17 to 19 tells us, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the roads as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul had been contemplating the, and praying for three days about the things he had done and who had confronted him on the road to Damascus. Saul was a radically changed man once the Holy Spirit came upon him and became the apostle Paul. Saul immediately did just as Ananias said. Saul's first reaction after regaining his sight was to be baptized, even though he had not had anything to eat or drink. After several days with the disciples, in which we can safely assume that Saul was learning all that he could about being a disciple of Jesus. He begins preaching Jesus in the very synagogues in which he had been giving, given authority to arrest Jesus' followers. This was astonishing enough in itself to the Jews. But Saul was also increasing in his ability proving that Jesus was the Christ. And he, this left them even more confused. Verses 19 to 22. In verse 23, we encounter a time's lapse. Luke writes, after many days had gone by. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 1, verses 17 to 18, that he went to Arabia for three years, then returned once more to Damascus. Saul was in the desert in solitude, learning from God. But now in verse 23, he returns to Damascus even more prepared to preach Christ. So much so, the Jews knew that they had to get rid of him. Verses 23 to 25 tells us that there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Persecution had now come upon Saul. 
but the Lord protected him so that he could accomplish all of the rest of things the Lord wanted him to do. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he was not ready, readily accepted among the disciples in Jerusalem as can be easily understood. They were afraid and did not believe his claim to also be a disciple. Most likely, they thought it was a ploy to infiltrate them before arresting them all. It was not until Barnabas, the same man we met at the end of Acts chapter 4, befriended Saul and introduced him to the apostles, that he was finally accepted after telling the story of his conversion and of his preaching in Damascus. Saul then began the same ministry in Jerusalem. What must have gone through Saul's mind when he took up the same ministry as Stephen, whom he had helped to murder so many years before? The reaction from these Hellenistic Jews was the same as it had been towards Stephen, verses 26 to 29. And the second half of verse 29 said, they tried to kill Saul. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. A few years later, Barnabas go to Tarsus to find Saul so that he can help with the work going on among the Gentiles in Antioch. Liu then comments in verse 31 about the changes that had happened in the church with the departure of Saul, who had been a leader both in the persecution of the disciples. And then later, the lightning rod for the same persecution. Verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Praise the Lord. The church continued to grow regardless if there was persecution against it or not. For God is busy doing his work in all circumstances. That is still true today. We must be careful not to get so caught up with the circumstances of our lives that we forget this important truth. No matter what we face, good or bad, God is at work accomplishing his will. He simply wants us to be faithful to him, just as Saul turned out to be. Now let's move on to another section, 32 to 43. With Saul home in Tarsus, the narrative focuses once more on Peter. He last appeared in connection with the Samaritan mission 
in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 to 25. Now he is participating in the greater Judean mission by evangelizing to the coastal communities. This small section about Peter's witness to the coastal towns consists of two miracle stories. The healing of Aeneas, verses 32 to 35, and the raising of Tabitha, verses 36 to 43. First, Aeneas. As Peter travels about the country, he stopped in Lida to visit the Christians there. Peter found a paralytic by the name of Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years. Peter took the initiative to heal Aeneas without any request being made. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up and became a walking miracle. Liu said that the people of the region turned to the Lord as a result of Aeneas' healing. Next, Tabitha. Verses 36 to 37 said, In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became ill and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. They heard that Peter was preaching in a nearby town. They sent word, please come at once. So Peter made his way to Joppa, about 16 kilometers away. When he arrived, he met many women in mourning. These women, widows who had no family to care for them, wept and showed him clothes that Tabitha had lovingly made them, verse 39. Asking for some time with Peter's body, the mourners left and Peter knelt to pray. He turned back to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Thanks God, she did. Peter made sure that the widows whom she served and the other disciples whom she happily served beside were the first ones to see her return, verse 41. Now overjoyed they must have been. Their friends and benefactors have returned. Her good works on Christ's behalf would continue. Verse 42 says, This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Praise the Lord again. Well, let's come to the end of Acts chapter 9. Again, there are many lessons we can learn from Acts chapter 9. I'm sure you enjoy your discussion in your DT. In conclusion, we can only here highlight a few important points. First, Saul's conversion. For a start, Saul's conversion is a reminder of the power of the gospel. 
Saul was the last person in the world anyone would think would ever become a Christian. And yet, he did. Saul's experience is also a wonderful reminder that no one, that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. No one, not even someone as sinful as Saul, is beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. Anyone, anywhere, anytime can receive God's forgiveness if they repent and put their faith in Christ. If we hear Jesus speak to us in Scripture and believe what he says, we can enjoy the same salvation Saul enjoyed. Like Saul, we have done nothing to deserve God's mercy. It is all a free gift of grace. Secondly, Saul's experience should also remind us about the importance of the church in God's eyes. Saul was told that when he persecuted Christ's people, he was persecuting Christ himself. Every Christian is part of Christ's body and enormously precious to him. Those who persecute Christians around the world today will be held accountable to the Lord for their behavior. And lastly, Saul's experience on the Damascus Road reminds us that Christian conversion should lead to action. Saul responded to his encounter with Christianity by joining the church, being baptized, and then began to tell others, people, about Jesus. Saul's example challenges us to be committed to our Christian brothers and sisters here at CZEC. And his example challenges us to be eager to tell our neighbors, friends, and family about our faith. We should be as keen as Saul as to tell people about the free forgiveness and eternal life that is on offer by the risen Christ. Next, Tabitha. Tabitha was doing a great work for Christ in Joppa. She was always selfless and using what he, she had to make a difference in other people's lives serving some of the poorest people in her community. When she looked at them, she saw fellow children of God and make sure that their basic needs were covered. She made clothing and she would give it to those who were struggling and would often serve widows. Her love and generous Spirit had touched many lives. When we like Tabitha use our privilege to serve our neighbors, we are leaving out one of those facets of grace. I pray that we can leave a legacy 
of love as powerful as Tabitha's. May we all be willing to contribute to the healing and hope of the world. Amen. May God bless you.